to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Today's scripture is from Luke's Gospel. There are not one, but two miraculous birth stories that begin Luke's Gospel. And the first of those stories is not about Jesus, it is about the birth of John the Baptist. John is born to Elizabeth and to Zechariah. John would prepare the way for Jesus by teaching and preaching about the good news of repentance and of forgiveness. Zechariah, when he hears the angel announce the birth of his son, initially cannot believe what he is hearing, that at he and Elizabeth's old age they will have a son, and so the angel makes him mute, which is good for a man. When he finally can speak again, he doesn't speak at all, but he sings. And this is what he sings. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For God has looked favorably on God's people and redeemed them. God has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of the servant David. As God spoke through the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus God has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered God's holy covenant, the oath that God swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness before our God all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare the way, to give knowledge of salvation to the people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, by the tender mercy of our God, The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That is the word of God for you, the people of God. Together we say, 
Thanks be to God. Barbara Brown Taylor has a wonderful book. In fact, she has many, many wonderful books, but the one I'm thinking of today is called Learning to Walk in the Dark. She begins the book with a story, a memory of her childhood that is probably familiar to all of you. She is a child and she hears her mother's voice beckoning her into the house with the words, Come in! It's getting dark. The assumption behind those words, Taylor writes, is that when it is dark outside, it is dangerous. The dangerousness of the dark, Taylor says, was like the law of gravity. No one could say exactly how it works, but everyone agreed on it. Darkness can be scary when we are young. When we are young, the world is vast and it is inscrutable, and sometimes it is terrifying. But Taylor goes on to observe that our childhood fears of the dark often follow us into adulthood. Darkness becomes a word that we use as a stand-in for anything that brings us fear, uncertainty, or sickness, or failure, or loneliness, or depression, and death. We cloak in the language of darkness anything that we are afraid will consume us. But Taylor testifies in her book to another way. She says, and I quote, I have learned things in the darkness that I would never have learned in the light. And she goes on, I need darkness as much as I need light. I want to ask this morning, is that true? Is it true for you? Is it true for us? Do we need darkness as much as we need light? Some of us take our cues about what is wise and good from the natural world, if you count yourself among those people, the answer to whether we need darkness is an absolute yes. Darkness, in case you hadn't noticed, is at least one half of every single day. Sometimes more than half. I saw a tweet this last week. Someone was going through a difficult time and they were trying to get some perspective on what they were going through. And so the person Googled the time of day that the sun set. Darkness every single day in the wintertime in Sweden and in lots of different places. But darkness is both natural and essential and even nourishing. Whether you're a person who thinks that God set these planets in motion in their orbit, or whether you think this is all the result of some wondrous cosmic accident, for all of us, for one half of every single day of our lives, we turn our face away from the sun. We move away from the light and into the shadow. Every day, darkness covers us. And in spite of what your mother warned you, good things happen at night. For one, we rest, right? Ideally, 
We have these circadian rhythms in our operating system, and they tell us when it's time to sleep. Sleep is as essential to the human life as eating or breathing. In the darkness, your sleeping body is doing all kinds of wonderful things. Your cells are recovering. Broken and damaged DNA is being repaired at night. In your brain, memories are being stored. Your body knows what to do in the dark if you would just power down your devices and trust it. Of course, not everything that lives and breathes sleeps in the dark. Some animals are nocturnal. Two-thirds, two-thirds of all invertebrates are nocturnal. A third of all vertebrates are nocturnal, and almost all human teenagers are nocturnal. You hear them at night if you pay attention. I'll be doing the dishes or lying there in bed, and outside I will hear, hoo-hoo, in the treetops. Owls have eyes that see a hundred times better than your eyes do at night. At night they hunt and they mate and they carry letters to and from Hogwarts. <laughs> the animal kingdom is alive in the darkness. Some of you are up at night too, and sometimes you are doing good things. People do all kinds of good things at night. Authors and artists have often worked at night because the altered light and the hushed sounds stir the human imagination. We can see and hear and perceive and know differently in the darkness. Charles Dickens is known to have taken long walks through London at nighttime, and he would write about what he saw on the streets of the city at night, policemen walking their beat, laughing, drunken partygoers returning from their nights of revelry, boys selling muffins to survive, a mother and her daughter begging in the rain. The dark was alive. Is it any wonder that Dickens chose the liminal darkness of Christmas Eve as the time when the ghosts would come to tell old Ebenezer the truth about his life? Other artists have also loved the night. Some of Vincent van Gogh's most famous works are about what one sees at nighttime, this is his painting called The Night Cafe. It's a scene not unlike the scenes that Dickens wrote about. On the one hand, there are colors, vital, energetic colors in this cafe, but if you look closely, you'll see the colors are garish, almost ugly. This is a hard scene, the people gathered in this cafe are sex workers and alcoholics. And Van Gogh sympathizes with them because he is one of them. Van Gogh's first idea of his calling was to preach the gospel as a pastor. But he ended up preaching through his painting instead. 
Now, of course, you know about his other famous night painting, Starry Night. It's almost a visual textbook for that spiritual principle that Howard Thurman called the luminous darkness, the darkness that gave birth to the light, the darkness that is not, in fact, dark at all, the darkness that welcomes those with eyes to see. Very clearly, darkness holds something important for all those who are willing to pay attention. Robert Frost is one of my favorite poets, and he wrote about paying attention to the darkness in a particular poem from his 1928 collection, West Running Brook. And I want to read you that poem. It is also printed in your bulletin if you'd like to read along. I'd like, I'd like as I read to ask you to pay attention to what the poet sees and hears as he walks in the darkness. I have been one acquainted with the night. I have walked out in rain and back in rain. I have outwalked the furthest city light. I have looked down the saddest city lane. I have passed by the watchman on his beat and dropped my eyes, unwilling to explain. I have stood still and stopped the sound of feet. When far away an interrupted cry came over houses from another street, but not to call me back or say goodbye. And further still at an unearthly height, one luminary clock against the sky proclaimed the time was neither wrong nor right. I have been one acquainted with the night. What do you see and what do you hear when you walk in the dark? For Frost, the darkness is the absence of visible light, and it is more than that. Frost's father died when he was 11. His first son died of cholera at age three, and he blamed himself for not calling the doctor sooner. He and his wife, Eleanor, had a daughter who died three days after birth. Eleanor became depressed, and they had another miscarriage. Frost's sister, Jeannie, died in a mental hospital. Frost's daughter, Marjorie, of whom he was fond, died after a long bout with tuberculosis. 
Eleanor died from heart failure. Frost's son, Carol, who had become depressed after a long conversation with Frost, took his own life. Frost had to commit his daughter, Irma, to a mental hospital. So when the poet writes, I have been acquainted with the night, I have outwalked the furthest city light. He is talking about experiences that every one of us knows. Sadness and despair, guilt and numbness. That is where he is walking out in rain and back in rain. And that is where he chooses to stand still, to listen and look for what the darkness has to offer. And there in the dark, the poet displays a curiosity, a willingness to listen. He says the time is neither wrong nor right. There he becomes acquainted with, even perhaps befriends the night. I know that some of you have walked also in the darkness. M. Scott Peck said life is difficult. The Buddha said life is suffering. Nature itself turns its face to the shadows every single day, and our lives also move into the shadows too, into the dark. Our best plans go sideways. A beloved dog dies. The doctor calls with a diagnosis. Someone we love gets lost in addiction. Someone we love speaks cruelly to us. Someone we love leaves long before they should and long before we stop needing them. These experiences are as common to our life as is the nightfall. As common as they are, we are nevertheless often bewildered by them. We are caught unaware and left speechless. I won't ever say that we should welcome life's painful experiences. They are not something to revel in. They are hard and they are confusing. But I do believe Believe very deeply that suffering is not something we ever can run away from. There is no amount of artificial light that we can try to shine on our own lives or on each other's lives that will chase away all of the shadows. There is no quick fix, no cheery outlook, no positive thinking that ever chases the darkness completely away. 
the way out of the darkness is in. If darkness scares you, perhaps the best thing to do is befriend it. To borrow the poet's phrase, become acquainted with the night. The darkness does not swallow us up entirely. It does not consume or destroy us. There is even beauty in the darkness and truth, truth to be found in the dark. You are also not alone. You are not alone in the dark. As you befriend your dark, you become one who grows in sympathy with all of the others around you who are wandering out past the farthest city light. As you befriend your own dark, you grow in sympathy for those who suffer under violence or injustice or those enduring mental illness or grief. Instead of one who looks uncomfortably away, you might even be a friend who draws closer. And while I think it's true we can't fix the darkness for one another, our suffering is not so easily fixed by flipping a switch or turning on a light. But you may discover that loving someone who is hurting means that you can be one who keeps vigil. You can be with them through the night. Jesus talks about this kind of love. He calls it abiding. Beloveds of God, darkness is not a curse. Darkness is a place where God abides. God was in the primordial darkness at the creation of the world, ready to give birth. God came to God's people in the darkness of an Egyptian prison and delivered them. God was in the thick, dark cloud with Moses. God was in the darkness of the whirlwind with Job. God was in the darkness of the animal stalls with Mary. God was on the cross with Jesus and in the darkness of the tomb. Darkness is not a God-forsaken place. Far from it. The poet Mary Oliver wrote these words. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to
give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Let the church say, Amen. Amen.